right. Hello, everybody. This is Sex Positivity Unfiltered, where we talk about sex and we are not polite about it. My name is Lindsay Murray. And I'm Denise Stratton. And today we have a special guest with us, Ashley Ward, who is a sheriff's deputy uh, jail division. And the reason we are wanting Ashley to come on the show, our last episode was about domestic violence and like criminal justice reform and um, people who have committed violent crimes. And, and we just thought, what a better person to come on and kind of give us some insight into what, you know, that, that side of the world looks like. And so, um, Ashley, just turning it over to you, if there's anything else you want to say about yourself before we dive in. Uh, I've been at the jail for about a year now. Um, went through, I was dispatched before an EMT before, so kind of saw it on that end. And then now I'm in the jail and then just working my way to the road. What made you want to pursue um, going to that side of the, I guess, seeing humans? <laughs> Dispatch. Um, it sucks when like you're on the phone and you can't help. Like, so the county I used to work for, we were super small, and we weren't allowed to give any type of like medical advice. Like, I couldn't even give like a starting round explanation, which you would think it'd be common sense, but it's not. And so, being an EMT as well, because I did like two part times. Um, I just felt helpless. And so I kind of wanted to start going to the road and I just made my way inside the jail first and then hopefully to the road here shortly. Okay. Okay. I hadn't even thought about that. It does make sense. Yeah. If you're dispatch, you're pretty limited in, in how you can help. Um, mm-hmm. I, li- I, I think like a lot of people, I listen to true crime and you'll hear the 911 calls and sometimes you can tell like, it would be nice if you could just jump right in there and <laughs> help them, but mm-hmm. limited. So that makes a lot of sense to me. How how long have you been um, in, in your current position? So I've been with the jail for about a year now. Okay. Yeah. Do you mind sharing with us um, just what your job entails? You know, what do you do on a daily basis? So since you said this is kind of unfiltered, in all honesty, we babysit all day long I'm not gonna lie like they so how we work is we have different cell sections we have dorm sections um dorms are out all day long that's typically like your females and then your sentence section and then like the cells they come out for four hours and then they go back in and then it's the next section they come out for four hours like it's legit just babysitting Okay. So for the inmate, is it inmates in jail? Is mm-hmm. that okay. So for the inmates, how long, since you're doing a jail jail, not a prison, how long are the, do you keep, like, what's the maximum that you would keep someone there? So it, when they're going through their entire trial era, they're with us. If they're able to post bail and then they work with the trial and their attorney, then they get out for us. But a lot of times when they're in jail, it's because they have a no bail set. And then um, you can generally do um, like prison time up to a year in jail. So they'll the probation prison time and then they'll send you to a county jail because it's kind of better to go to a county jail than this prison. Mm, okay. Why this may sound like I'm probably going to have some naive questions for you because I'm clueless. Um, why Why would a county jail be better than prison for an inmate? <clears throat> uh less hard offenders i'm gonna say when you get like taken to jail or taken to prison you're put into like a cell unit for a certain amount of time and then sometimes you're put out into like a very large gin pop where you don't really know where you're in 
where jails are relatively small. And so you're only out with the max about 25 and maybe 30 people a day within your group. So you're not out with hundreds. You know, And I mean, I hate to say it, they're all criminals. So you don't know what kind of stuff they're up to. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Do, the, the jail that you work at, um, do... Are there like certain types of crimes that go to your location or is it kind of more like all encompassing? It's pretty much everything like drugs are an issue, but drugs are a America issue. So I don't think we'll ever win that battle. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the thing that shocked me the most with like certain offenses was the amount of sex offenses. That one shocked me. Tell us more about that. Cause I, I think maybe that's where I'm like the most curious about because like a sex offense could be all kinds of stuff. So what, what's been the most surprising about that? Uh, you know, there's a lot of children, sex offenders out there. Wow. A lot of child pedos. And it's shocking because it's not on the news. It's not anywhere. You don't know anything about it, but it's like, we watch these guys come in and, and a lot of it's, forceful sodomy and aggravated sex assaults and stuff like that. And it's on children. And it's like, you would have never known. Oh my gosh. Is, and we're small. We're really small. So like, I can't imagine a big city. Is it hard for you to keep your composure or like being like when you know someone's prior charges? No, just- I got to treat everyone the same. Ooh. So, and like with us is, you have to remember, and they could be straight up admitted. They're not, they're innocent until proven guilty in the jail setting. So. Oh man. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you did mention, which I thought was great, uh, that your job is pretty much babysitting, right? So what is, mm-hmm. what would you consider the hardest part of your job? Sitting. I'm joking. <laughs> we, sit, we sit in control rooms all day. And so like you have different types of settings. Some are direct supervision, which means they're in the day rooms with the inmates all day long. I'm like behind three doors watching them on cameras. And then if they want something, if they hit a button and I generally go answer the button with no, then what do you need? Yeah. So <clears throat> um, it's it's not super hard. I think the hardest part about it is you lose trust in everyone. Like they could be your most dangerous inmate is your very nice. Yes, man. Yes, ma'am. How can I help you? Yes, sir. Yes, this. Yes, that. I'll do this for you. They are your most dangerous inmates. So you just generally lose that trust with people. So there's a lot of manipulation then, especially the whole thing is. Okay. Yes. And that's like, so we go to Academy and your number one thing you're taught is, is they're all manipulators. You can't believe them for a second. You can't be gullible. You can't, like, if you want to give them benefit of the doubt in this job, and sometimes you have to, but most of the time you can't because they're just going to use that against you. Does does that ever, um, does that ever impact your personal life? And the, and the reason I'm asking is because my job is way different than yours. So I, I'm not comparing at all, like comparing apples to oranges, but you know, I see clients all day as a therapist and like, sometimes it's hard for me to draw that boundary for myself of like not taking it home with me and like seeing clients do these really awful things. You know, it's just, it's easy to like spill over and kind of put me in a bad mood or a sad mood or doubtful. And um, I'm just wondering if that happens to you having to hear all of this. Not, 
you know, it's funny because it's like, and I might be still in the early stages of my career, but I'm like, why? I'm not more along the lines like you're a pig or something. I'm more along, why did you do it? Why? Like what? I'm kind of curious of what in your mind thought that you thought that that was okay type thing. Maybe they do need help. And I'm kind of on that line of, okay, maybe there's something wrong with you. And it, a lot of it's child or um, their childhood trauma that led them to where they're at and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of it's drugs and drugs. I'm like, uh, you picked that up yourself. Right. So I don't, I, think I don't take it home if good. that was what you're asking. I'm glad that you don't because it sucks if you do, you know, it's just heavy information to know about. And I think you almost, to be in that kind of work, you have to be able to separate it. So it's nice that you are. And I think there, something I've read, I'm loosely quoting this, but I, I think it's like, um, uh, pretty much all individuals who commit crimes like that do have a history of trauma, but like not everyone who has trauma commits crimes like that. So it's always hard to say like, what's the determining factor for someone to like go and commit these awful things versus someone who doesn't it's like, right. What an impossible question to, are answer. you, are you allowed to ask them about like, what, like, you know, cause that would be as a true crime person, that would be really hard for me to be straight restrained on not being able to ask them like questions about their past or why they like what happened or no we're not really supposed to like talk with the current charges with them unless they're well, like hey I, I need to confess this or something like that but other than that we can't we can't dig that's not part of our job type okay. thing so <laughs> we also like say if for some odd reason I am like pushing the button and asking and then they did tell me something incriminating themselves. Um, they haven't been read Miranda rights from me. So it wouldn't even be like held in court, whether it was trauma or current charges or anything like that. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Either, yeah. That's mm -hmm. news. That makes a lot of sense. But in my in my head, again, naive like true crime fan, I'm like, oh, if they say anything, like that's gonna that's what's gonna get them. But yeah, in my opinion, like they're under surveillance at all times. So I would just figure that'd be an automatic, but okay, okay. That's good. Well, if they use if they say some something dumb on the phone or in a visit, we'll use it against them, but okay. not straight to our face. Okay. okay. Right. I guess that does protect them in a way if you know they had mm -hmm. a guard who maybe decided to I don't know be malicious in some sort it would be one word against the other right and the guards matter more so I could I, I guess I could see that yeah right um, yeah okay so uh let me just real quick have you have you ever um and you don't have to answer this because I'm asking about your coworkers, and so you may not want it out there but have you ever noticed any manipulation along like other employees of the jail because I know sometimes that could be a thing where like another like we get manipulated no, like y'all, not you specifically, but like other sheriff's deputies, like being manipulative or like bending the rules or doing inappropriate things with inmates. Like, have you ever seen anything like that? So there's stories like what I'm going to be honest. There's a bunch of stories and like, I hate to say it, but the sex with inmates is a huge theme. Like, I feel like every single one of my classes in academy was do not diddle the inmates. Wow. That is their motto. That is, and like they explained it to us because when we go to work, if we're so high and we come home, we're so low because we crash and something about like, we end up in that crash. We hate our home life and some other stuff. And so when we're in that high, we do some stupid ass stuff. And sometimes it's with coworkers, sometimes it's with inmates. 
currently, no, I haven't seen. I, there's some soft people, like too soft. We call them hug-a-thugs. Um, but what do you do? I'm not going to override another correctional officer or anything like that. Like, that's not my position or place. You know, I'll be my same strict self, you know, and then if they want to get away with that in me or with that officer, then they do that. But I can't do anything about it. So you have mentioned um, that in your training that you've both been uh, pretty much taught a not to have sex with the inmates, which actually that makes sense. And then um, B also uh, just. Uh, OK, what I'm asking is how what is your I guess what are aspects of your training? Like take me through what you have to go through in order to get into this industry, because it seems like a lot and it seems like a lot of mental stuff, too, that you have to prepare for. You know, they don't. Sometimes I wish they prepared you more mentally than what they actually do. So it's nine weeks. And where my academy was is I had to go live on dorm um, four days out of the week because my county sent me with a car and everything. Um, it's a lot of like high intensity physical workouts. Of course, you got to be in physical shape. Um, you do what we call defensive tactics, especially jujitsu, just rolling around on the ground, uh, or certain maneuvers and stuff like that, how to overcome inmates. It's a lot of classes. So it's a lot of classes on policy. It's a lot of classes on like gain rivals. And where we went to academy, it was more prison-based. So uh, um, UDC, Utah Department of Corrections puts it on. And so basically what they told us is, is like, yeah, this is how we do it. You need to read your policy and how you do it. Um, UDC has a lot more programs and resources for the inmates because they're there for a whole lot longer. You know, sometimes they're there for life. And where us, we, you know, we're so small that we don't get that opportunity, you know, that maybe some other jails do okay, for resources and stuff like that. But mental wise, it's not, it's not a whole lot. It's basically don't be gullible. And then um, where I'm at, you know, uh, religion is a huge, huge thing. And so a lot of naive people come into this job. And that's the basic thing is, is they try to teach them that you can't be naive in here. So mm -hmm. I guess how does religion tie into that? Like they're like trust, like, you know, everyone's a good person type. Okay. Yeah. Wants to give everybody the benefit of the doubt or just like oblivious. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. Like some people I work with don't know what a bump is. And I'm like, hmm. That makes you should know what that makes total <laughs> sense to me because I feel like and I apologize if I'm like stereotyping here, but to your point, like I think people who are like very religious, there's there's also like an aspect of like being sheltered in a way and so then when you're exposed to what people are really doing it almost doesn't seem real but from your position mm -hmm. you're like nope this is all real this is what they're doing and like it shouldn't be a, a surprise unfortunately right right can you tell when someone yeah like, like when someone's not used to um being around that environment like is it obvious? oh 100 percent and it's like the social cues you're like Come on, bud. You know, they give an example during one of our academy classes is we were talking to an inmate. It really was another officer, but he coursed him into a date at a sandwich shop without him really even knowing. Type of, just gullible. And you're like, how did we get here? <laughs> just not, you know, and he, it, the thing with Utah is they opened up the correctional officer. You can be 19 now and go into the jail and work. And then once you hit 21, you can go to the road. Which is 
kind of a problem and then it's not like you have some good kids that can come in but you can have some really naive straight out of high school don't know what the real world is and that was kind of him he was super young and super like been in this ward my entire life I don't know what I'm doing so interesting okay Mm -hmm. what um you know in in your experience and I've and maybe you've already kind of touched on this but um when you have these inmates who have committed these really awful crimes, specifically like sex offenses against children, um, have you at any point learned anything about those kinds of people? Like, I know you can't ask them about their crime. I know you're not having, I know you're not having deep conversations with them, but have you just through the job, have you gained any insight on like what is behind that kind of behavior and personality of someone who would do that? So a lot of, and not everyone, you have your one-offs or whatever, but a lot of them are emotionally immature. Like they haven't developed all the way. And then they're never, they're never the, I don't have that. They're almost the victim as well. Like they're, they didn't do it wrong. They didn't, they didn't do anything wrong. There's no accountability, you know, nothing. And somehow, some way they were the victim in it. Almost like that narcissistic type of personality. Yeah. with immaturity mm. I feel like those kind of go hand in hand is what I've been learning mm-hmm. yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally yeah when someone is narcissistic there's definitely like a given level of emotional immaturity and sometimes it's like a huge immaturity um because like from my perspective and I'm sure y'all's too like if I hear someone who commits a crime like this my immediate thought is like I could never like oh my god like I, like just flabbergasted and so if someone is like I didn't do anything it's like what the fuck (laughs) how could you say that like how could there be no accountability it's pretty shocking that's actually yeah that's what I'm shocked at that there is no accountability because these are kids so it's not like they can be accountable for that uh... oh no the kid coerced them into the conversation into doing what they did you hear that a lot Oh. wow oh my god <laughs> yeah about emotional immaturity because when I look yeah. at, when I look at kids I would feel pretty dumb if a kid like I'm not talking about sexual assault but like if they tricked me into something I mean I would feel pretty silly because I'm like I'm a grown adult what? they're 10 you're whatever you know so to even say that kind of speaks to their lack of development I guess do you mm-hmm. repeat offenders when it comes to like the child uh predator sector? Well, they go away for a very long time. Okay. So good. good. Most of the time, no, I actually have. We've we've had one that he went to prison, I wanna say like I think it was like twenty-ish years, came out and he was out for less than three weeks and reoffended almost the same one that he did the first time, a younger boy. And back in and back up so but from what I heard from him is that you know it happened to him as a child and he thought that's the way of life so I don't know what you do with that information at that point I feel like you're too far gone to help well because it does make me wonder if he's already been in trouble for it that's the confusing part to me is like, if you get in trouble for it and then you reoffend, you almost can't backtrack and say, well, I thought that's how things were. It's like, but you've already been to jail. You've already been to like, how are you not getting that? This is a, this is not okay. Um, 
It just kind of sounds like another lack of accountability to say that. Well, like when you talk about emotional immaturity, he was super immature. And then like, there was little things, very little things that he would just throw temper tantrums over. And we're like, you're like 60. Why? You know? Oh, does age not like, do you, does age not matter as far as maturity level in your experience since you are babysitting? Okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> do you see no. anything as far as gender mattering mattering as far as like women versus are they you know you have immaturity at all levels in both I feel like women are more honestly drug and mental health problems mm. you don't really have a whole lot of like aggressive I mean you do every so often right but you don't have a whole lot of like super aggressive stuff it's more of Either they have mental health problems or they have mental health problems and they're on drugs. So that kind of thing. Yeah, we've, we've, um, uh, I know on our podcast, like in past episodes, we've talked about like different, you know, men and women, like different, different contexts and like a lot of men, uh, the primary emotion they show is anger and nothing else. And like, it does cause aggression and, consent violations and like well, it's the only acceptable it's only acceptable emotion, emotion that they're, that allowed, they're to allowed to show and um you know speaking of like lack of development I'll tell you my experience as a therapist if at a certain age I don't know what that magical age is but at a certain age if someone has not learned emotional regulation there does come a point where like it's pretty impossible to teach them. Like they have to, mm-hmm. be, they have to be coming to the table. Like I'm willing to change all of this clean slate, teach me, or they have to be, they have to want it. And when you're talking about people who are like 50, 60 years old, <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of life to live. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. not, not having, it's a lot of programming and not having that skill. So when they, yeah, they're like in the jail, kind of like you said, that past the point of, no return I'm sure that is true sometimes so I mean I believe everyone gets a second chance like don't get me wrong I believe 100% even sex offenders you know if that's honestly you were molested as a child and then you grew up thinking that was right or whatever and then you did your time I believe 100% you have a second chance of life now if you redo it uh, I'm sorry (laughs) yeah at that point are you a true crime person too I would just imagine in your job you you are so uh, I was before I started dispatching. Oh, I bet. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So, and then the dispatching stuff kind of, some of it's overplayed in true crime. Some of it's not. Uh, It's kind of, I think when you're involved around it a lot, pretty much, you know, we work 12 hour shifts. We work 84 hours every two weeks or more. I work more usually. Oh, wow. And so I'm in it all the time. So sometimes I like something else. 12 hours so 12 hour shifts four days a week or three days a week or two and off it's, how we're so we're, we're two and off two so it's like two on two off two on three off three on it's like weird how it works out is you get every other weekend off okay how they do it so it's I don't mind the 12 hour shifts because it gives you more days off yeah and then when you when you do pick up a shift it's really good overtime oh yeah I bet 12 yeah mm-hmm yeah I can totally see why you would want other entertainment content aside from true crime Mm -hmm. doing doing what you do and like going back to your point a second ago like everyone 
can have a second chance or deserves a second chance or can can do better. I totally agree. I think what I often find is like they have to want it. It's all it almost goes back to that accountability piece. Like if someone can say, "Yeah, I was wrong. I can see that now. Let me let me do what I need to do." But it's so hard when they don't want to do that. I mean, I see that in my job too. Sometimes someone doesn't really want to do that work and mm-hmm. it gets hard to move the needle forward when that's the case. So balancing off of that, one thing we're taught is that they'll be sorry. They'll be sorry and crying and stuff. And it's all a front. They're sorry they got caught. Yeah. And yeah. so that's kind of where it's like, you know, and not just towards sex offenders. There's no accountability really anywhere. And so when they get in trouble with us and there's like a lot of, we have a lot of rules. If you don't come out with your shirt on to the day room, you can be written up type thing. Oh, wow. And so th- they go through a hearing trial with one of our um, supervisors and it's recorded. This is what kind of like what you've been accused of stuff. There's no attorney available and it's not criminal. It's just like getting an isolated punishment type stuff. And she kind of thinks if you are straight up and said, hey, I did this. This is my fault. You know, you might only be locked down for five days, but if you fight it and like, no, I didn't do that. When there's obviously proof, we saw you do it. Um, it's immediately like 10 days or more type thing. So that's all we want is for you to be accountable. And it's, they don't, they don't get it. Yeah. Well, it also goes, I mean, back to manipulation, like if someone knows they get some kind of benefit from like admitting to it, or they'll say the right thing to kind of get less time isolated or whatever, it's almost like that. So I don't know what I would call it, like not genuine. It's like surface level fake mm-hmm. kind of, Oh, I'm so sorry. And this and that, but then they're going to go back to doing what they want to do. Well, I mean, I've seen them on like video court saying to the judge, how sorry they were. And it was never happened or phone calls. Phone calls to their girlfriends and to their moms about how sorry they are. They'll never, ever do it again. Blah, blah, blah. They get released. And it's like a month later, they're back in for the same stupid thing, saying the same thing over again. Mm, I can see that. It would be hard to see repeat offenders over and over again because that I would just be like, how can you not? How, how is it not connecting that this is the result of those actions? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we see a lot actually sorry really oh like (laughs) yeah as far as percentage wise like what 20 percent is that because to me that's a lot it might even be a little higher wow Wow. i feel a big percentage i man drugs are one hell of a thing and i feel like especially when you have a drug crime and that's a lot what a lot of us are is they they get out and they come immediately back in and it's an over and over and over thing. Addictions. Or, yeah. It, unfortunately it is. Yeah. It's so hard to overcome too for a lot of them. I'm sure that contributes mm-hmm. to like why they keep, you know, ending up back there. Well, we have a judge that really pushes for treatment. Don't do your time. Go to treatment, go get help, go do this. And it's like, they just don't. Oh, they'd rather they just come in, lay down, detox for a little bit, get out. All right, let's repeat. And redo it. And I'm thinking like, okay, you've already spent like three weeks here. You are detox. Like there's nothing left in your system. Why Why immediately, like you got through with the withdrawal. Why you immediately go back out and do it again? But I have never been addicted to a drug, so I don't, I can't, 
Well, and a lot right. of them, a lot of them, I would imagine like they, their whole support system is probably on drugs too. I would imagine the minute they get home, it's right there, oh, you yeah. know, or mm-hmm. their friends are all doing it. And, um, it's, uh, not, not excusing it, right. It's gotta be frustrating to see them like keep coming back, but I just know a lot of them that's like, not, not just something they do, but it's like their whole life. So then they get out and it's mm-hmm. like, well, I've been a detox, but I'll get back into, get back into it, which is such a shame because detoxing is hard. Even if it's like they've been in the jail for three weeks, they didn't have a choice. Detoxing mm-hmm. has got to be so difficult to then choose to like do it again. And do, I mean, from your perspective, what do you see? Like, do you get to see the whole sweats and the whole, you know, like the, um, I guess the shaking and like, cause obviously all I have is media. So I have TV in my head. So that's kind of what I see on TV. But is that, is that your experience? It depends on what they're on. Yeah. Like certain drugs will give them the shits and throw ups and like, mm-hmm uh normally in the cells we don't hear it as much but when the females in the dorms and someone's detoxing all of the other females will let you know that she is detoxing and it was our fault for putting her in there with uh-huh. them. Uh-huh. Um, they're very like she needs a detox somewhere else and when she's done she can come back uh, we so our booking area like you come in for your crime or whatever or even for a commitment and you're we have like an, a little area where it's just called booking and it's got five cells in it, so we can hold people or stuff. But that's also our suicide ward, and that's our, like, we call it EWM, Enhanced Welfare Monitoring. So when you are mainly detoxing from alcohol, we put you in there. Because alcohol can kill you, the detox. And it makes you do some weird things. Really? So, oh, yeah. That's one of the worst things to detox from. Like, they start seeing stuff. It's almost like schizophrenia a little bit. Oh. Um, And then... That's one where we really monitor them and like, okay, what is your blood pressure doing? What is this doing? Touch stuff. From alcohol. Okay. So I'm, I'm a drinker. I enjoy me a good, you know, tequila shot pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. So I guess what, how, how much alcohol has to be in their system? Like, is it, is it consistent? Like, cause I've never. Like had- people who drink every single day for the last five years or more. Like we just had somebody who's detoxing. He's in right now for 40 years, never has had it several several drinks every single day type of thing and he will be talking to the wall here probably next week okay okay I can (laughs) because I've also bartended too and you do have those regulars who come in with like literally the shakes like this like this bad shakes and then you give them one drink and and also they'll also come in with a different level like a different demeanor and then you give them one drink and then it levels out they can they're calm now and they're the same person that I've always known for you know the year that I've been serving them or whatever so I could see that Mm -hmm. that makes sense okay it's interesting. Ha- have you ever felt unsafe on the job, especially if someone is in like psychosis or something? I didn't know if like you had ever felt unsafe. No, not really. I mean, like my coworkers have gone attacked here and there. It's weird. Like being a female, there is like that level of respect with the inmates that they kind of draw the line, you know, and not necessarily me. I've heard them say them to other um, like deputies that oh, if anything happens to you, I got your back. Honestly, if they said anything happened to me, I'd be like, you mind your own damn business first off. Don't help me. But um, I don't, I don't feel unsafe. I know some other people have when our max, so like our, our scary guys, right? They're in max. They come in max. 
they're out for one hour a day. That's it. They come out alone. They don't have anybody else type thing. Um, and they do that from 60 to 90 days so we can determine their behavior, if they can survive in gin pop or not. If someone is like an issue, we just lock them down we just, before we even go in there like, hey, you need to lock down. Uh, you do have your inmates that are like, I don't listen to you. I'm going to do whatever I want. Or breaking fire sprinklers. They love to break fire sprinklers. So we have what's called a cert team. It's just our SWAT team for the jail. They come in with like a shield. It's got a taser on it. There's like six guys behind the shield. And they're trained on how to pin you up against the wall, take you down, put you in cuffs, put you wherever they want, mm. type thing. And they'll do that not only for like people who refuse to follow orders. Like if you're actively trying to kill yourself, they'll do the same thing. Um, put you in there and then we put them in what's called like a wrap. So it just like wraps all their body parts up and they can't move. Okay. for a certain amount of time until we can get them help so so you have a max like in your facility oh. what so we have so we have like a, a max uh higher max and a super max oh. so we have three three levels of it and what takes getting into those uh so if you come in with a chart like okay so if you've been in before and you've been in trouble with us like more than three times you go to max Okay. Um, automatic max um, classification is like assault on a PO because that's a police officer or that's a correctional officer or anything or even nurse like if you assault a nurse um, it's the same same type of classification or if you run from the police it's immediately into max oh, and wow. the whole idea is is that you're going to try to break out of jail to <laughs> so that's why they put you there um there's other factors that lead up to it like your criminal history so there's a little program on the computer that we do and we just answer questions like how many felonies do they have how many aggravated felonies do they have how many you know stuff like that and it comes up with a point system and based off that point system is whether you go to max or not how you get into the two other maxes is uh you do a lot of stupid shit you get a lot of write-ups and yeah you're put in like okay. our guy in super max, he doesn't even have water access. Like we have to behind the wall, flush his toilet for him with an, another nozzle because he will flood his cell every single chance he gets. Oh, wow. So they okay. can't be accountable. They can't be responsible <clears throat> for anything. Like they're, they're literally not him. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So there's measures so, in place if they're like, acting up or trying to hurt someone or there's measures in place to I mean really protect the other people who are there right so even if like you play push and you hurt somebody it's Im immediately a felony so nothing oh. any any type of charge inside a correctional facility is a felony right off the bat so oh, and then it's another it's a whole another court proceeding charge and stuff like that like you can be in on something so stupid as like petty theft and then punch somebody else and like petty theft you would have done like 20 days in jail time but now you're going to prison because you decided to punch somebody because it's a felony oh i had no clue that Girl, it was an automatic felony no you guys i'm assuming mm -hmm. you guys tell them though before they go in that they're not allowed to touch anyone or oh yeah they get a they get like a rule book when they go in so they know all the rules and stuff like that okay so i'm curious because oh man if i were to punch someone for i don't know being offensive like let's say I got really mad I punched someone and now I'm a felon and I go to prison to me that sentencing I understand why because obviously they're in a jail they should behave but 
that sentencing is insane compared to when I think of what rapists or child predators or people like that get, right? So do you, coming from your perspective, do you see, like, do you ever have issues with the sentencing um, lengths that you'll see? No, we're one of the more stricter states, I want to say. And so, like, and it, it's weird how we do our sentencing. So, like, a, there's a set standard for all of sentencing. So, you take, like, a felony three, and I want to say it's one to three or one to five years. So, you're doing the minimum of one year, no matter what, or the minimum of three years. And then, from that point, you have a board of pardons who is going to look at your past behavior as a child and stuff like that, your behavior in jail, your behavior in prison and they can let you out right away or they can hold you to the max like it's up to them to choose how long you stay and how long you don't so there's there's that leeway way where they can do like you take a, a um a sex offender and they're probably going to do anywhere from 10 to 20 now it's up to the board of pardons on how long they do after 10 okay is it um and i know this i, I don't even know if like this would be in your wheelhouse, but I'm going to ask it anyways. But like, because it sounds like if, especially with like sex offenders, they get charged with a crime, they do go away for 10 to 20 years, like quite a while, which they should. Is it difficult to even charge them though? Like in the beginning, is it hard to like have the proof or whatever is needed to even charge them with a crime to begin with? So any type of arrest has to have probable cause. So they need to have some type of evidence to even bring them to us. Like if they don't have enough evidence or like they bring in a PC statement and like if we don't like the PC statement or something wrong with them, you're like, no, here you go. We don't want them. We can't take them type of thing. So they they do have to have some type of legitimate evidence to have them brought in and stuff. And then it depends on going forward with the court, how much more evidence they're able to retain and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. I would imagine that could be, that could go, this is me assuming here, but like with any kind of sex crime, it can be so hard to get proof sometimes or evidence. I say proof, I'm saying like evidence. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Lindsay comes from a different perspective to where, you know, a lot of victims, (laughs) their predator does like, they don't get arrested. It's 50%, right? 50% of sex crimes, the Mm -hmm. uh, offender doesn't get arrested. Mm-hmm. yeah because I come in I'm coming from that I like when it comes to sex offenses against children I that is not at all like there's probably a lot that I need to learn about that I do work a lot with like adults who are victims of a of a sexual crime um and a lot of them that do report and ends up going nowhere but again it's different kid a minor versus an adult so yeah I'm coming definitely from like an adult perspective where like I hear all the time that unless they can provide this really hard evidence, nothing's going to happen to the person that they reported. But with kids, I would imagine it's got to be different. I would hope so. I would hope so. I think, yeah, especially with the age of the child. Like, I don't think any seven-year-old is going to be like, oh, yeah, he touches me here. There won't be any seven-year-old going to come up with that type of yeah explanation. Okay. But it, and well, going off of, like, your adult one, I and this is kind of just a rant on it, I guess. I feel like there's so many females that have played raped or accused raped and it hasn't really happened that that's the way our judicial system has gone now is like oh we can't take this unless there's actual evidence 
because so many people are like, oh, yeah, no, I know. I said no. And then he did it anyway, start the thing. And, and it could be, it could 100% be that, that, you know, but there's been so many cases now that it hasn't been that way, that it was fully consensual or whatever. And then they wanted to backstab their, you know, whoever. And now it's like, cool, if you don't have evidence, we can't do anything about it because it's not going to go anywhere anyways because of past accusations. Uh, naive question too, but wouldn't that make her be the criminal then? Because then, I mean, she's, I feel like that's a crime to accuse someone of rape and it not be true. Is that not true? They don't prosecute it. Okay, okay. I don't know why they totally should because it's like um, defames their name or whatever, but they do they don't prosecute it yeah there was a um there was a documentary called victim suspect that talks about this about like false reporting um and it does happen so you're totally right but i um the documentary like the journalist who kind of put all the information together was kind of showing that it happens less than we think it does because police mm -hmm. will, police will use what's called like a ruse and like in the documentary a woman would, and again, it's adults, but like a woman would come forward and say, uh, I was at a bar and this man that was there raped me in his car, like as an example. And what they were finding out, and this was like across multiple states. So maybe not where you're from, but like the police would use what's called a ruse because they didn't really want to deal with the case. So what they would do is like this woman would report it and they would say, well, we have um, security footage of you. Uh, making out with this man and it looks consensual and, and it doesn't align with your story and she's like I like what can I see the footage like my story is definitely what happened um, and they won't show her the footage because there is no footage they're just like we know you're lying like you might as well admit that you're lying because it's faster for us to arrest you for false reporting than it would be for us to like go through with the case of this guy like raping you. So there were like all these women across the country who were arrested that like were charged with false reporting. And it came out later in this like journalist investigation, it came out later that the police were using was called a ruse. So they went through all this, like their name was like tarnished and they weren't believed. And then they find out later Oh yeah, there was no video. We just like made it up. So it does not to what you're saying is absolutely right. When there's false reports, it does like give that doubt, right? But then on mm -hmm. the flip side, when I saw that information, I was like, gosh, like how do you know what is true or what is not? It's so confusing to me. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the media with cops now, it's not we're not necessarily the best people in the world. So I 100% believe you, especially if it was like 10 years ago or even more, like 100%, I would believe that would be the case, you know, and like it used to be a boys club, 100%. So boys are always going to have boys backs type of thing. And I, I would believe that. Do you feel any of that on your, in your job right now, kind of like it's still being a boys world, or do you feel like you've got some, like you've got, you're respected as a woman? The jail, so the jail is required to have females because oh, wow. we do female changeouts and stuff like that. Um, a male can't do a female changeout versus a female can't do a male changeout type thing. Um, maybe on the road, it, you don't see too many females on the road versus where you see them in a correctional type facility. And that I don't have an answer for. I don't, you know, it's kind of hard. Like, and I've been explaining it both ways where, uh, 
when you're going in for and you need backup, honestly, do you want somebody who's 150 pounds or do you want somebody who can hold 150 pounds or do you want somebody who is 220 of pure muscle and can hold even more? And I understand it to a point and then I don't understand it to a point because uh, I feel like there's other things I could provide, but not in the jail. Let's just rephrase it to that. Not in the jail. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you on the, you know, there's other things I could provide because I get uh, uh, my industry is nothing like y'all's, but it it is very much male dominated. So every once in a while, they'll think I can't turn a wrench the same way that a guy can, which, you know, if it's a really big bolt and it requires a lot of, you know, then, yeah, if we use the same tool, he's going to outmuscle me all day. But then I don't know if I use a different if I if I figure out how to, you know, with the wrench, extend it, you know, because leverage right then, yeah then hey I can figure it out I can still get the job done it just might not look the same as the way the big guy did it you know so um, <laughs> absolutely yeah I agree with you there okay um just we are running out of time so let me get through these questions <laughs> uh, oh uh yes all right so with your job going back to like you not feeling unsafe or anything have has there ever been an attack like have you have you seen any like really rough attacks uh no i've seen people just get like kind of decked in the face type thing other officers and stuff like that um in the prison the prison is a whole different world than we are there's a lot of attacks up there especially because they want to direct supervision so you have an officer to two in the day room with them all the time and there's a lot more of them out type thing normally you have a lot more gang problems up there and other stuff like that so they they have a much larger issue with it than we do um and a lot of times with ours, it's like a mental health problem. Like the schizophrenia, the voices told me to attack the next person who opened the door type thing. Hmm. So, do you any medication or do you, because it's a, I mean, if it's a jail, I would assume. It depends on their prescription. Like we can't just be, we're not doctors. We can't go and be like, oh yeah, you, there's something wrong with your head. You take this. We can't do that. They have to have a already pre-diagnosis with pre-prescribed medications. So is there a, is, is like, if, um, I guess that's, I guess kind of to piggyback off of your question, like, is there direct mental health support in the jail? You know, like if someone came in and they didn't have a diagnosis, but you could clearly see something wasn't right. You know, is there like a professional that they go and see to get a prescription? So they're able, well, not necessarily a prescription. They're able to talk to a therapist and stuff like that. We have a therapist that comes in. And then we have a doctor that comes in once a week. Um, they He can prescribe stuff. He doesn't normally prescribe because it's not really his field. It's more along the lines of I have an infection, I have a cold, and something like this, blah, blah, blah. I've seen him give out some bipolar medication before, but they've already had a pre-diagnosis like a while ago and just weren't on meds type thing. Okay. And you've seen that change, right? Like from when someone before they get the meds to after and the difference... Not bipolar, but I've seen a schizophrenic, like, and it's funny because they, they'll start taking their meds and then they are like normal human people again, and then they feel great. And then they no longer take the meds and then it's back to square one where they're eating poop. And I'm like, cool. So we've just got to, and it's a, it's a rotating cycle. It about I every two weeks. Great. I don't need these. I don't need these. That's all. <laughs> it, yeah, you know, it's actually, it's interesting you say that because it's so, I see that even with like in my line of work, like not to that extreme, but like 
even taking an antidepressant, someone can take it for a while, they feel better. And they're like, well, I'm better. I don't need it anymore. And then they stop and they immediately stop taking it. And it's like their mood just drops because the reason that they were feeling better was because of the medication that they were on. And people really will. And I, I'm not necessarily blaming them because like it makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. If you're feeling better, it it's you kind of have to consider like maybe your medication is a big reason why you should keep taking mm-hmm. it, but they'll stop it when they feel better. It's very interesting. Yeah. I kind of wish to be like, no, you just have to, this isn't an option. Yeah. Here's your thing. But we can't force medicate. So it's like, okay, well, I know you'll be eating shit in two days. So <laughs> awesome. Okay. And it's weird. They do. I don't know why they do. So that brings me to my next question. Cause I mean, that's not violent in a way, I guess not really, but that's still something that you don't ever see humans do. So that would affect me in a way. So what would you say that you guys are given um, enough mental health resources in order to, you know, deal with the situations or the types of humans you deal with? So we're required by law to go to a, we call it a head doctor because we joke around, but a therapist once a year. And it's basically to get cleared um, to make sure that nothing is bothering us type of thing. We don't necessarily have to speak during the thing. They're going to ask us a few questions. And they're going to ask us if we want to say anything and it's our time to speak. Um, but there's, I think, and I, I'm not 100% positive because I haven't looked into it a whole lot, but we have a, a, like a, a group, a partridge group that will assist us if we need to type thing. It, it is covered by insurance to a point. And, you know, that we'd have to pay some type of out-of-pocket for it. Um, and then you're welcome to go to any other therapist if you want. You know, we do have peer support within the in the jail amongst ourselves. So some of us are peer support, and they go to certain trainings for that to help, like, hey, if you need to talk, I'm here about certain stressful situations or even deaths and stuff like that. Um, but we are required once a year to go. Whether we say anything or not, it's up to us. Is it a standardized type of questions? Like you hear the same questions every year? So this is actually the first year they put it in place. Oh, oh <laughs> Kinda, wow. Yeah. So they're, they're starting to evolve with the mental health type stuff. And it it's very personal. It's very much of, hey, I want to get to know your hobbies. And I want to get to know you. And and I, I might just be a little bit biased here because I wasn't necessarily a fan of the people who come in for us. And I haven't been from day one. So I was just like, I'm good. And I don't really want to, you know, speak furthermore. Yeah. What, what made you not be a fan of them, of the people who were coming in? So it's the same group that does. So when you get hired, there's, it's, it's intensive. Um, You do a full blown background. Um, I mean, everything, you got a speeding ticket when you're like 12, you better submit it. You stole a library book. You better tell them like never, ever lie. And then um, you go through a polygraph and then you go to a psych valve. Um, it's the same people who do your psych valve to what, what the ones you're supposed to talk to for your yearly. And he just did not, I just was not entertained with the thing. He was asking some, you know, and I'm sure he's supposed to get deep down and personal, wants to know your, your traumas and stuff like that. And there was some, I was like, ah, I, I just rather, I just rather keep that to myself, you know, you know, I, it's not going to hinder me nor my adulthood or anything like that. And it was, you need to tell me. And I was like, no, I'm not going to. So that was where I was, 
with mental huh? like, is this your first experience with therapy like seeing this guy yeah yeah so oh, I was like gosh you see it just uh, so, it seems so intrusive like oh my god my therapy my therapist hat is on right now if I ever have a client who's like I really don't want to talk about that I will respect that I will never push that because that's their info to share or not it's not up to me and so like you know, when, when if a therapist is pushy like that, I'm with you. I wouldn't want to see them either because <laughs> I would feel disrespected. And it, there was another thing where he kind of just made me feel dumb too. And you already, you know, I really want to shop and I'm already in a high stress, you know, anxiety type thing. And it's not, we had a stupid question, like start from a hundred and count by seven all the way down to zero. And it got to the point where I, I'm already nervous and I'm already, and this is after, you know, and so I kind of was like, I got to, I want to say like 60 something. I'm like, okay. And I started doing it on my fingers and he was like, really? And I was like, oh, yeah. excuse yeah. me, sir. How about you start from 500 and count down by seven? Let's go. All right. Like I would love well, I'm like, I'm red and sweating. Oh and I was like, I'm so embarrassed right now, you know? And it was just not, it was like, um, I, and I walked out thinking I failed like 100%. I'm like, cool. So I guess I'm applying to a different agency type thing. And then. They called me certain, you know, a couple of weeks later, like, hey, so are you ready to come sign some paperwork? And I was like, oh, I guess. Because oh. he, he did. He made me, like, I just left not confident, feeling like humiliated almost. And I was like, all right, cool. And are you not allowed to choose a different therapist if you wanted to and have that be like your your yearly eval? Well, he's got like people that work under him because it's like the main office, main guy or whatever. And then he's got like little midgets I guess I don't know anyways they uh they have the same personality from what I've kind of gathered because I'm you know he did my psych eval but he's done like their his workers have done other co-workers um and it's the same it's nobody really left feeling great type thing and so none of us were like yeah cool so we're not no which is so it's a I am really sorry to hear that because I would feel the exact same way as you and that's really unfortunate because like really good mental health it does require trust and support and feeling welcomed and if you walk away feeling like that I mean that's definitely not going to be the person that you're going to want to get help from and you tell me all the time empathy is required like you have to be like empathetic to your clients and you have to kind of see things from their pr- I mean yeah it just yeah. doesn't seem to align with anything that she's been telling me mm-hmm. um yeah and so with okay <laughs> so more into that aspect as far as like the so you have to go to this guy once a year right that's my understanding mm-hmm. um and what am I trying to ask I will come back to it hold on and go okay okay uh no I think that was my last question or I I don't I don't think I'm even the one who asked it but I was that was I was like mostly curious about was kind of like the mental health aspect and if you felt supported and if you didn't so whatever your question is yeah no I'm actually curious because obviously you all go to the same I, was it company or the same guy, like the same one therapist? A company, it, but he owns it. So it's, yeah. So it's pretty much his teachings and what he's um kind of uh, teetered down almost. Um, So I'm- We're, go ahead. sorry, I'm not, I don't mean to interrupt you. We are allowed to go to other therapists that are covered under our insurance. It's just we're required to go to him at least once okay. for that evaluation. So are you guys to 
are, are you guys kind of encouraged in a way? Because like you said, you want to keep your job, right? So are you encouraged to kind of answer him in a certain way? Or do you know like ways to answer him to be like, I guess, do you all decide, no, I'm just not going to talk to it and I'll, I'll throw down that I feel fine and all right, so I can keep my job for the next year. There's still certain questions you got to answer, like yes and no and stuff, too. And I'm not, I'll be blunt, honest. Like, it is what it is. This is me type thing. And, you know, there's no reason to lie um, to you or anybody else. I don't, I don't care. And so I'll, you know, I'll answer his questions to a thing. It's just like the, I want to get to know your personal life. And I want to get to know, like, what do you do? And I'm like, no, I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, that's kind of my answer to him. It's, I'm not going to go in detail. I'm going to answer the questions you need to. I'm going to answer them honest. And if you didn't like my my answer, then, then it's up to my ABC to do what they want to do with me type thing. And I think that's everyone else's because we've had people that need a break, in all honesty, ones that have been there a little bit longer, and they are put on leave. And then it's, um, it's we're going to give you the resources you need to go get help. They, they're very good with that. And it might not be with that group, but that's an extreme situation type thing. Yeah. So you're just, you just learn like meet the requirement, answer the, the non-negotiable questions. And as long as you do that, I mean, that's meeting the requirement for that. Mm-hmm. So in general, in your work culture, like with your coworkers and all, it seems like you have a baby on the, on the left. Yeah. Um, I do. (laughs) But yeah. um, So with your work culture and just in your industry, um, I would, I would imagine that seeking mental health, is that something that's not really like, would it make someone look soft and like, not at all. Really? Okay. Not, yeah, not anymore. They, I think that was like the mentality back in the day, but there's been studies now that like traumatic stuff that's happened. If you're able to talk about it um, or debrief about it within like the next week or so, you're not going to have that traumatic, almost PTSD a couple years later on or even further on. So they're very much of, you know, if you, if you need to talk, let's talk type thing. And that's why we have our peer support. And then that's why we do have the Partridge group if we want to use them or anybody else type thing um it goes from there but yeah no they're very much uh and it's it's not just admin it's co-workers too co-workers you know and even if like someone comes in super frustrated over something dumb which normally you know it's a little stuff that pushes your buttons it's like cool let's you know let's talk about it and let's get over it here so it doesn't build up and explode and we lose our job out there yeah do you see people who self-medicate as like a, their form of therapy in a way not so our policies actually it, you know who if they follow policy or not we have a stricter policy like we're, we're not allowed to drink oh really or you know well so within 12 hours of our shift let me rephrase that we can drink on our off days <laughs> but like if you're 12 you know 12 hours before your shift you're not necessarily supposed to consume alcohol and stuff like that and then it's not overly you know i know i haven't really seen you know any, i've heard stories but they were from a couple years or even more ago of people using prescription stuff or, you know, and then marijuana is not legal in the state of Utah. So, yeah. And then we can't hold a medical card at all if you want to work for correctional type thing. So no drugs at all. And then, yeah, limited on alcohol. But I haven't seen it a whole lot where people like feel the need to drink all the time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
go ahead. I was just going to say, it is true that, you know, with like frustrations or trauma or whatever, the sooner you can talk about it, it helps a ton. You know, you hold on to it long enough. That's when it starts to really can cause a lot of issues. So it's good that they're encouraging that. Yeah. I'm curious mm-hmm. about that actually. Do have you, has there ever been something that happened or maybe someone you talked to or just a situation that, um, that you dreamt about later or that you still think about to this day that kind of affects you in a way? Like obviously not extreme PTSD, but maybe a slight PTSD. I have a funny one. No, not like anything that's like traumatic. I mean, I, so I don't eat uh, guacamole because I'm allergic to avocados. Okay. But we, we going back to schizophrenic stuff, uh, this guy, he was pooping in his toilet, not flushing it. And like smashing it up, and I might have to step out of camera for this one. But we give him pills, right? And instead of taking his water cup like he was supposed to, he scooped up that water with his pills, and it was like we called it guacamole. So I can't like guacamole. I'm just, <laughs> nope. Like I'm good. I don't want no part of guacamole. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, the association with that word is is that image now. It's gone. Yeah. And, like, I was super, I, I used to gag, like, telling that story, like, it was just, and I was there for it, like, and I didn't, I didn't see him full on, you know, but it, the smells were there and everything, and I was just like, holy hell, so, you know, and I, like I said, it was funny, I've, I've seen death, I've, but I've seen death as a dispatcher, I've seen death as an EMT, like, it's nothing, it's, unfortunately, it's nothing new type thing and stuff like that, and so, it's just kind of hopefully they're in a better place is my, my mentality on it. Whether they did something bad or not, hopefully they're in a better place. Yeah, that's a question I have actually just for you by yourself because I didn't realize it. You might have told me this before, but I didn't realize all three of those occupations that you had, which are all three high stress occupations. Mm-hmm. So now that you have this beautiful perspective of all three of them, which one would you say took mo- the most mental health toll on you? An EMT. I okay. That I makes figure sense. that I makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it's like high it's yeah. like crisis all the time. Yeah, and like you know, we're given you know some education. We're not we're not there to save them. Like we're there to prevent death as much as we can and get them to the help they need. But that's the thing is like sometimes we're just not quick enough. And, it, you know, and I worked in a smaller county where you had more type of rollovers, like hitting cows and stuff. And like really, and you had old people, like it is what it is. Old people are going to pass in their sleep and stuff like that or fall. And then you just have to help them get up. But it was like the the accidents, the PI accidents. That, that those ones were such high stress. And then you have other people running and yelling at you. Cops sometimes are yelling at you. And it's like, I'm, we're doing the best we can. And so, you know, but it that was, yeah, that one was the one that was like, holy crap, what just happened? I wow. bet, yeah. And on any of these three where you, I mean, was mental health, I, I know the psyche valve is required for what you do now, but was EMT, was mental health something that was required at all? Or, wow, no. okay. Wow. Or dispatch. Dispatch, it was the same thing. It, was, it wasn't required. And sometimes you had high stress, you know, in dispatch as well. So I'm curious, so. have you gotten any mental health education for any of the trainings that you've done? Yeah, We do. So uh, you get some while you're in that nine week period and then when you are graduated and stuff they have what's called a CIT program it's crisis intervention team 
And so it's all mental health based for inmates and stuff like that, or even like in real life. And, you know, um, and so it's a week long, they send you through programs where they talk about certain like bipolar and schizo. Then they even talk about, you know, because autistic is, you know, very well known now and then down syndrome and stuff like that and how to just like you know for an autistic a couple years ago they would just turn on lights and put them in cuffs well now that's not necessarily that you know the best thing to do for them that's super traumatic on them and stuff like that and certain ways how to approach it and stuff and then it's on the street and in the jail and how to help certain individuals and stuff like that and then at the end of it we take you know we take a test and see if we actually learned anything while being there and so um, then there's other, like, just like one-off trainings that we go to. I've been to one already. Just actually, I've been to two um, on just going a little bit more further in detail on how to, you know, different, like, they have scales and bars and how ask this question and, you know, if it went south, you know, let's go in this direction or let's go in this direction type of thing. I think that's awesome that they provide that because I'm I'm thinking of I used to work at a at a community college and there was um um there was like a like a program where staff from every department could like volunteer basically to get like crisis intervention training and I think it's so important because like you know these are not the people that are going to be like any kind of long term treatment for someone but you can at least help them with the crisis like that's kind of step number one before you can even go any further and so it's pretty I think it's pretty cool to that they're like offering that education and that knowledge because it's got to help the person but also you on the job so that's very when, encouraging to hear might yeah 100 percent. pardon oh I said impressive yeah impressive oh yeah and like there's some stuff on it like I don't know if you've ever heard grounding like I've never heard of grounding in my life now it's like cool I know it's somebody who is not in their right mind and the steps to try to, you know, bring them back and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know, know what grounding is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I'll let you explain it from your perspective. I do know what grounding is too, but it's interesting. Uh, it's like when an example, I'm just, cause that's the best way to use it is a guy thinks he's a butterfly on a tree and he's really on top of the tier going to jump off cause he's a butterfly wanting to fly. And so the idea is, is you start talking to him, is a tree, does a tree feel cold? You know, does a tree have a cell door behind you? And it's bringing them back to reality to where they're like, hold on, I'm not a butterfly. I'm standing on a hard, cold ground with my legs between a cold, hard metal thing. That's the perfect way to describe it, like getting them back to reality. Or it's like mindfulness, you know, it's like someone, if like someone is like having a panic attack, you can do grounding with them to like, you're just like, it's kind of representative of like your feet being planted on the ground. Like you're here in this moment. You're back on And there. here's what's actually happening, not this other thing. And it just kind of gets them in more of a regulated state. So then from there, you can like Good. get them where they need to go. So yeah, that's really cool that you know about grounding. Hey, okay. Um, cool. And then do you have anything? Because I just have like three more questions and that's it. I don't think so. Do okay. what? How are we doing on? Oh uh, yeah, no, it's yeah. okay. I, okay, okay. Uh, so just so you're aware, just I try to bring it up to all of our viewers. This is a sex positive podcast, right? Um, so one of the things that sex positivity I've learned in the movement is uh that a it's all inclusive. You're supposed to accept all types of lifestyles, all types of relationships. You know, as long as it's two consenting adults, consent is a big thing. And then sex education is the in my 
in my opinion, really, really important. So I'm curious what your sex education was both formally, like in school and also at home. If you don't feel comfortable, totally fine. Uh, I grew up in a split household, so we'll go home first. My dad was kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't I don't know how to approach this with you. My yeah. mom gave me a little bit, but I, I didn't live with my mom and with my dad. So it was kind of what I got from my peers in school. Um, I feel like it's kind of the same. I, I felt like I was introduced to sex education in elementary school at like fourth or fifth grade. Okay. That's kind of what it was, which was fine. And then it was re again, I think I want to say sometime in eighth grade, I want to say, and then again in, and then, like, high school one was more about safe sex and stuff like that. And I want to say it was sophomore year. And it was a whole semester of, like, sex education type things. Wow. What? Okay. And where did you grow up? Just so our listeners know. Las Vegas. Oh. Okay. okay. Yeah. We grew up in Texas. So we did That's... not get any of that, like. Very... Really? <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, girl. I've said it on previous <clears throat> episodes. I got reproductive education basically in um I think it was fourth grade as well, like third or fourth grade. Um, and then mm-hmm. other than that, that was it as far as school goes. Like I never really? received any other sexual education at all. And so I would see in the media, you know, them covering the Madonna with the condom or whatever it is, and I'm like, that never happened to me. But yeah. Yeah. Lindsay got some. Got we but yeah. We watched a birth in sophomore year a full-blown and it was harry harry burst and it was hilarious because everyone was like shocked and it was like to the point of like this could be you right now <laughs> type oh, thing geez. like very... <laughs> okay uh-huh all and right. they, they passed out condoms and all like wow. this like because i mean at some point you know it who doesn't lose their virginity in high school let's be real now and I think they were more along the lines of we want you to have safe sex than to, you know, sneak out and do and go behind and end up with something that you can't reverse from or something you got to go to the doctor for. That's good like that, that they took that approach because here it's abstinence based. It's like, just don't mm-hmm. do it. And that's it. There's no other. We're not going to say anything else. So which apparently it does not it does not work. Yeah. But that's how it mm-hmm. is here. So very interesting yeah I think you now officially out of all the people that I've asked because I've been asking a lot of people this question now you probably have the most extensive uh sexual (laughs) yeah wow I'm actually very impressed um and I like to balance off of that there was I don't think there was one teen pregnancy in my graduating class wow that makes sense there's a lot here there was a lot here here. (laughs) because you're not supposed to be doing it but everyone's doing it, so... So, come yeah. on, I guess, last question, probably. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm drawing <laughs> this out. But uh, coming from Vegas, do you see a difference in, like, the culture coming from Vegas? <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> <clears throat> so, there's a lot of things. There's a lot more naive in Utah, right? And there's a lot more entitlement, I hate to say. It, you know, it's, well, I'm this last name and I'm part of this ward. And so it's like, you should automatically respect me. And it's like, cool. I've never stepped inside a Mormon temple, nor will I probably ever type thing. I don't care. And like the closer you go to the West Coast, I hate to say it, the meaner we are. So it's like, I and my husband is from Texas, right? And so he's like a golden retriever. He says hi to everybody. And he's like, it doesn't matter who you are. How How's your day going and stuff? Where I feel like most of us, especially in Vegas, walked around like this 
don't talk to me, <laughs> don't look at me, please ignore me, type of thing. And so they are a little bit friendlier here. They'll wave, and I'm like, you wave? Oh, hi. <laughs> like, why are you? Why are you waving at me? But there's definitely a sense of entitlement here, type, and it and. I don't want to talk mainly about religion and stuff like that, but I do believe it stems from the church. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> that could be like a whole separate episode, but Mormonism is really big in Utah, isn't it? Oh, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's huge. Yeah. yeah so, and then there, there's, go ahead. Huh? No, no, go ahead. Oh, I say there's also a polygamy here too. Like you oh, think yeah, it's yeah. a joke. No, it's here. <laughs> so, yeah. I've, I've seen, uh, I mean, again, TV reference, but I've seen sister wives and I know stuff like that's going on in, <laughs> in Utah. Sisters. I grew up with sister wives sister wives lived uh, the neighborhood down from me. Um, several of them were in my high school. They were, um, of the kids, they were in my high school. Like one of the daughters, she was the softball manager. Um, and I played softball stuff like that. I was also in like the military program. So I had several of them in my platoons and stuff like that. That is not a good rep- uh, representation of polygamy, ah. like, at all. <laughs> so that was just some guy that was like, cool, I want some more wives, and this is how we're going to do it um, type of thing, and then we're going to get rich off of it. Here, they they wear the, the hairdos and the, the certain outfits. The boys do not look any females in the eyes. That is strictly against what they're supposed to do, only their wives type of things. I unfortunately think these kids are kind of groomed to, especially females of this is acceptable type of thing. And you're, you're not necessarily like a wife. You're more like a property type of thing. Mm, Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think the, I would imagine the TV version is very like almost watered down kind of. Um, So that is very interesting. Cause yeah, my only reference is like TV, but we all know like, TV can portray anything in any kind of way versus, you know, what it is in, in real life. So, okay. That's yeah. so interesting. Do you have any other questions? No. And Ashley, do you have questions for us or, or anything you want to add? Uh, no, <laughs> not necessarily. I do want to thank you guys a lot for bringing me on. This was super cool to talk about what I do and stuff and different perspectives. I, I think like the the amount of sexos and stuff like that will blow everyone's mind if they kind of look into it. Um, all all bookings, no matter what jail, what state you're in, it's public knowledge, and they show what they've been booked for. Go take a look real quick. Go see yeah. what's in your county and what's been, you know, certain things that have been oh, brought in. How, how would they would they just Google search their county or? Yeah, the county jail roster, wherever they're at and stuff like that. And I'll bring up the current roster and stuff like that, or even previous or new bookings and stuff. Okay, that's really good to know. Well, I we appreciate you too. This has been really great. I, I feel like I've learned a ton. So we totally appreciate your time. Um, for our listeners out there, you know, like and follow and tune in and, and listen. And if you happen to have any questions for Ashley or anything you want to ask us kind of a follow-up to this episode definitely message us on social media send us an email a comment um and we'll get back to you happy to provide any information so your job is fascinating so I'm really happy that you came on it was it was really good yes absolutely so we are yeah kind of just closing this out um We are Sex Positivity Unfiltered. Thank you again for tuning in to listen and remember to stay curious and fuck politeness.